Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Uh, We are into now our fall series, and I want to invite you to participate with us as we go through this together. Lisa and I always begin to think months ahead about what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church. And as we were praying together, as we were seeking the Lord together, he led us to a book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart. And we began to read this book, as well as a book by Tony Evans called U-Turns. And we began to get this sense that the Lord was saying, things are going to be happening in our people's lives in which they're going to have to have well-ordered hearts. And that having well-ordered hearts, they would be able to withstand anything that they face. So here's what I'd like you to do, is I'd like you to think about journeying with us for the next eight weeks. We're going to have the sermon every, every Sunday on this issue of renovation of the heart. We're going to do, I'm going to do two podcasts on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Facebook Live, and then you, could, you can also catch it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and anywhere else that let me talk. And then there are small group settings that happen throughout the week. We call them growth groups. Now, here's what we've learned is that even as you take in content, which we really, we listen to the Lord, we try to, try to get what we think the Lord is shepherding our people with. As you get that content in, you need to ask questions. You need to process And the best place to process is with other believers who are going through the same thing with you. We have trained leaders that are a part of every one of these groups. I believe the Lord is is speaking prophetically to our church. But also I think he's speaking personally to each one of us. And that is that he wants us to have strength in our hearts as we face the coming things in uh, in our lives. This is what I found is sometimes the things I'm preaching on, people are going through right this moment. But sometimes the Lord is giving us advance warning. And, and often what we're talking about might not happen for a year, but it's going to happen. Something's going to happen in which you're going to need to have the strength of heart. Not just the ability to control circumstances, but the ability to be able to be strong in the storm. And so I have a sense that this is very important. And as we do it together, we get strong together. And so the idea that I would like is for each of us to think, Lord, how do you want to renovate my heart so that I become strong of heart? And I I, I want you to join us in this. And I'd like you to be praying for all of us in this. Now, this is the verse This is the verse in which we begin to see how important the issue of the heart is. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let's read it together. Will you read it with me? Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Can we say it one more time together? Watch over your heart with all diligence, 
for from it flow the springs of life. All right, now, I want this to get in you so much that I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to point at him, your nice finger. And I want, you to, I want you to say to them, okay, say to your neighbor, you can, you can waggle your finger if you want. All right, ready? Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, here's the thing I know. It's easier for you to tell them that than to turn it this way. So let's turn it this way. Ready? Watch over my heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. <laughs> I'll tell you that I, I can't count the number of times that people have come up to the platform and said, uh, Pastor, can you pray for me? Yesterday I was doing a, 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 a meeting, a conference with a church, and a woman came up and said the thing I've heard over and over again. I read my Bible, I pray, I worship, I give my tithe. What more does God want from me? And it's such an interesting thing how many people will say that and not understand the simple, the simple truth is that he wants 100% of your heart. The commandment of the scripture is really clear. It's a, it says, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which it really, all four of those are coming from the same place. The idea is it's coming from your heart. Now, I understand what she's saying. That's the hardest thing to give God. And, and I, I'm realizing that no matter how old you are, there are parts of your heart that you've either hidden away, you've deadened because of disappointment, abuse, neglect, whatever, whatever circumstances you face, there's a part, there are parts of your heart that you've just kept protected. Because in an essence, your heart is the control center of your being. It's the part of you that is the most autonomous or sovereign part of you. It's where you make your your deepest commitments, where you hold on to what you trust. And so for so many of us, we don't realize that much of what's happening in our life is a pressure that comes to reveal the heart. And one of the things that I noticed in the last year or so is the Lord has allowed the pressure in my life to increase in ways that I did not expect there are things that are happening of, uh, that I have no control over whatsoever. I have no ability to control them. I have no right to control them. And as that's happening, I'm starting to see some deep areas that he's working on my heart. For example, I cannot control how much pain my wife has, how uncomfortable she becomes, or I can't control the symptoms that she's having to live through. I I find it harder in some ways to watch her in pain than to be in pain. I can't control that. But my heart has to stay strong for her as we go through that. Because I, I need to be there. I need to serve. I need to give. I need to love 
in that circumstance that I cannot control. But there, there's been something deeper that's happened in my heart as things that have happened, either personal attacks against me or personal you know, things that have happened to me that are outside of my control and things where, where I just, I see myself in a way I didn't want to see. I, I don't know if you know it or not, but I don't have a small personality. And I had never realized how self-protective I am until the last year or so. Because I thought, Lord, you're my protector, you're my defense, you're the guard of my heart. But what I, what I began to see this year, and it's so interesting, you can only see things when you're ready to see them. But I began to see something this year, and it's, if you push me, I push back harder. If you speak disrespectfully to me, I will make sure you never do that again. And I, and I have always just, it's a default setting of where forcefulness rises up either when I feel like it's unfair or I feel like it's unjust or I just, just don't want this to happen. And this forcefulness rises up with me. Now, my, my children have always said, Dad, that's your principal's voice. You see, I used to be an assistant principal while I was planting a church. And when kids are running down the hall, you go, stop that running. <laughs> and if you've ever been in a, in a school, the halls reverberate. <laughs> Scares the crap out of those kids. But Lisa goes, it also scares me. It scares me when you get that angry. It scares me when you begin to say what you're going to do out of that anger. And here I am, 63 years old, and he's allowed me to go through life, loved on me, cared for me, but waited till this year to say, you can't be like that anymore. And so I've been yielding forcefulness as a protector of my heart to the protector of my heart. And yielding it to the altar. You see, what, what's going on in your life and in my life is he's saying, you don't even know how to yield your whole heart. But if you trust me, I'll show you. And so as we go through this together, every one of us will be in different parts of the journey. But the Lord will be putting his hand on those places that are either dead, numbed, or protective of your heart. This is the reason that psalm is so important, is because it's saying we live from our hearts. Now, uh, please don't leave here saying we live from our emotions. The heart is not just the emotional center. It's the center of your whole being. As a matter of fact, here's a way to understand your heart. The part of us that drives and organizes our life is not the physical this remains true even if we deny it. You have a spirit within you, and it has been formed. It has taken on a very specific character. The human spirit is an inescapable, fundamental aspect of every human being, and it takes on whichever character it has from the experiences and the choices that we have lived through or made in our past. That is what it means to be formed. Now, what we're going to be talking about and what we'll look at over these eight weeks together is that your heart has been formed apart from God. 
That is just, that is the natural course, whether you grew up in church or you grew up in a Christian family. What our heart does is it takes what we're being taught, what we're be, what's being said, and it applies it to our identity. As a matter of fact, the psychological studies say that you have no true opinion of yourself until you are 11 years old. So for 11 formative years, what people have said about you is what you have believed to be your identity. So if the people in authority over you said you're good for nothing, then in that deepest part of your heart, there's a fear that you're really good for nothing. And either you will respond to that fracture of your heart, you'll respond to it by trying to prove you are good for something, or you will just live under the curse that you're good for nothing. If you were told your ears are too big, even though you grow into your ears and you look beautiful, you still look in the mirror and say, my ears are too big, and you hide them with your hair. There are so many things that have been said to our hearts apart from God that have formed our hearts. That is why we must be renovated, reformed. That's why we have to be spiritually transformed. Our hearts are, are not ordered. They're disordered. And see, when we put a little Bible here and a little theology there, that doesn't give you an ordered heart. Now, Dallas Willard is one of the people that I think is really helpful in this area. Our lives and how we find the world now and in the future are almost totally a simple result of what we have become in the depths of our being, in our spirits, will, or hearts. From there, we see our world and interpret reality. From there, we make our choices, break forth into action, try to change our world, we live from our depths, most of which we do not understand. See, every one of us has hidden depths that we don't understand even about ourselves. I've had many men over the years say to me in counseling, I am afraid to look into my heart. I am afraid that if I ever start crying, I will never stop. So here is my invitation to you. To look into your heart is to look into the fire of your past, the fire that formed you. To look into your heart is to look into the fire of your pain, is to look into the fire of all the things that you fear about yourself. But notice what we sang today. There's another in the fire. Anytime you look into your pain, Jesus is looking with you. And if you'll look, you'll see where he is, even in the midst of your pain. He will not let you go through your memories alone anymore. He will even show you where he was before you even became a Christian. Because he has been with you all the way. Do not be afraid to look at your heart. Be afraid to not look at your heart. So what our goal in this series, very simple, to have a carefully cultivated heart. So here, I want you to turn to your neighbor again. I want you to shake your finger at them. All right. The goal is a carefully 
cultivated heart. Now, I know I'm, this is deep stuff, okay? But we need to break it up every now and then and just, you know, speak to each other about that, all right? But I believe the Spirit is coming to us as a group of people and saying, it's time. You see, when you have a disordered heart, the enemy has unlimited access to your heart. The real issue of sin is that the loves of your heart are disordered. If you think about in the letter that that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said it this way, you have lost your first love. He didn't say you don't love me. He's saying your hearts are disordered. You have ordered your heart in such a way that I am not your first love. And you see, why does he say that to the church in Ephesus? Because they they fought the good fight. They've been up against all kind of odds. They've overcome so many challenges. But in doing so, they got tired. And when they got tired, their hearts were disordered. Here's what, here's what I'm trying to say to you. That if you have a, cult, a carefully cultivated heart, You'll be able to withstand, foresee, forestall, transform even the most painful situations. Some situations in which other people in their disordered hearts will simply sit there going, why does this always happen to me? You want to know why it always happens to you? Because your heart is disordered. I I can't tell you the number of times when somebody has come to me and said, you know, my husband is this terrible, awful man. I said, then why were you attracted to him? Something in your heart said, I don't deserve a good man. I deserve to be punished. I don't deserve love. I deserve to live in fear. I'm not attracted to those who would actually love me. I'm only attracted to those who won't love me, to those who will hurt me. You see, that is not just an issue of a bad husband. That's the issue of a broken heart. God wants to reform your heart, to renovate your heart in such a way that you're actually attracted to what is good for you. You're actually able to see what will build you up, not break you down. He wants us to be people who do not repeat the pain of the past, but actually know how to live from freedom to freedom, from victory to victory. But it's a heart issue, not a behavior issue. The greatest need, this again, this is Dallas Willard, says the greatest need you and I have is renovation of our hearts. The heart is the spiritual place within us from which our outlook, our choices, our actions have been formed by a world away from God. Now, what is the Spirit doing? He's transforming you from the inside out. I love this idea of Jesus bringing about a revolution from within. The revolution of Jesus is a revolution of character which proceeds by changing us from the inside out through ongoing personal relationship and intimacy with God in Christ and with one another. See, the The way the heart changes is not simply because you want it to change. The way the heart changes is as you are more and more familiar, comfortable, 
and able to access the manifest presence of Christ. Now, are you tracking with me a little bit on this? Okay, Alan said a little, so I'll take it. So when I'm thinking about my heart, I like to ask diagnostic questions. And these are two questions that I have found to be really helpful. The first is this. Well, what is it that makes your life go? And then secondly, what is it that could make your life go as it ought to go? All right, you say it with me. What makes my life go? What could make my life go as it ought? Now, let, let, me, let me dig into these questions with you a little bit. Are there any things that you do that if you're a little bit sick, you go, I don't, I don't think I'll go. You know, maybe, maybe you work. Like, you know, I'm, not, I'm a little stuffy today. Maybe I won't go to work. Or uh, you go to school. You're like, you know, I don't need to go to class today. I got, a, I got a headache. I got a headache. Now, that means that that work doesn't make you go. Or that school work doesn't make you go. Um, are you tracking with me on that? Because, you know, if something makes you go, it doesn't matter if you have a headache. It doesn't matter if you have a sniffle. You're not looking for excuses. You're looking to go. And so here's, here's, here's what I have found. I don't, I don't know if this is true of everybody, but I think it is. When I'm with the people I love the most, I don't want to miss it. And have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that when you're with those friends, you don't have to be doing anything just talking, just being together, just laughing, and the whole night passes, and you're like, it's already midnight, or it's already 11. I, one of the most precious things to me right now is I, I, I go home, we have dinner together, and then we, we pick out a show because her, Lisa's uncomfortableness is really strong. So we pick out a show that we like. Now, usually it's a show she likes, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> But a good job on my part, right? Doesn't give me any points, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, so we're sitting there and we're just together holding hands. And the night passes so fast. And it's already 11 o'clock. And I'm like, where'd the night go? And I, I know I have to go to bed, but I don't want to because I'm so content to be in her presence. I get it. But I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is there are moments where if you look, you'll say, that's what makes me go. But I want to take it a little deeper with you. Think about that. Time passes and you don't notice it. That's a picture a taste of heaven when you are just with in relationship and you're in friendship and you're in fellowship and you're you're feeling a, a sense of oneness with somebody else or a group of people time just seems to disappear that's eternity with Christ that's eternity with each other 
You see, what you and I have to realize is there are things that make us go, and there are things that could make us our life go even better. But we have to actually evaluate and say, do I make time for that in my heart? Do I value that? Well, what matters most for how your life goes and how it ought to go then is what you are on the, in, on the inside. Circumstances happen to us, but what are you within? See, what you are within, this is your spiritual formation. And if you really understand what makes you go and what would make you go right is transformation. See, what is in our heart matters more than anything else for who we become and what becomes of us. When I was telling you about that, that default setting of forcefulness that was inside of me, the circumstances didn't produce the forcefulness. The circumstances revealed it. It revealed it as a self-defense. It revealed it as self-protection. It revealed it as self-centeredness. And as that's being revealed, you don't, you don't justify it. You don't excuse it. You realize that's got to be brought to the altar. That's got to be yielded. Because you see, if you're the defender of yourself, then Jesus is no longer the defender. The hidden dimension of each human life is not visible to others, nor is it fully graspable even by ourselves. We usually know very little about the things that move in our own souls. The deepest level of our lives are what is driving us. Our within is astonishingly complex and subtle, even devious. I want you, I, I think this truth is so powerful because most of you think you're just simple. I just need this and that and the other thing and I'm happy. You're also full of baloney. So I want you to turn to one another again. Turn to your neighbor. This is actually going to be a fun one. Okay, turn and look them in the eye, and I want you to say, you are incredibly complex, subtle, and devious. See, I believe in therapy. I believe in counseling because we are that complex. But I also believe we're that devious that we can't get to the issues of our heart without God. We will always have a disordered heart unless the love of God is first. Look at what the psalmist said, one who had a heart after God. The psalmist cried out for God's help in dealing with himself. He said in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you is Psalm 19. Renew in me a right spirit is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's confession after he committed adultery and after he killed the husband of the one he committed adultery with. I guarantee you, before that happened, he would have said, that will never happen to me. That's how devious the heart is. And this is one of the reasons I believe in the, in the validity, the authenticity of the Bible. Why would one of 
the greatest heroes of the Bible also be an adulterer and a murderer. Except that this is about truth, not a legend. So this heart thing is basically the whole spiritual side of your life. When we talk about spiritual, we really mean that which is non-physical. The hidden or inner world of the human self is indeed spiritual. So when Jesus was tempted of Satan, Satan knew that he had not eaten for 40 days. And he said to Jesus, make these stones turn to bread. Now, there are many reasons why that would have been the wrong thing to do, but here's probably the biggest. Jesus was operating in his spirit-filled humanity. Now, in your spirit-filled humanity, you cannot perform magic. So he would, have had, he would have had to step out of his humanity and then done it by his deity in order to satisfy his human, his human need of hunger, which would have disqualified him from being the son of man, the substitute, the sacrifice. He had to do all the things of obedience to God as a human filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be our representative. This was a very powerful temptation, and it was very subtle. And so what did Jesus say? He didn't hesitate for a moment. He did not step into his deity and set aside his humanity. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is he saying there? Remember in John, he explains this really clearly. I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. You see, and the Father wasn't turning the stone into bread. So Jesus wasn't going to step ahead of the Father. What is he showing by that? He's showing that, yes, hunger is a real need. Attention is a real need. Approval is a real need. Feeling safe and secure is a real need. But if you do what most of us do, you will, you will try to meet real needs in illegitimate ways. That's a definition of sin. That is a definition of separating your heart from the heart of God. And so Jesus said, no, I have, I have learned to live from the spiritual side of my life. At times he even said to his disciple, remember, I have food you know not, know, not of. And so what, what we're trying to get at here is there are times when you're going to go through deprivation. There are times when things aren't going to work out the way you expect. But one of the issues is when life doesn't go the way you want it to go, how are you going to respond? Will you respond from an ordered, cultivated heart? Or will that disordered heart appear again? Now, if it does, do not lose hope. Because, see, if you see that you're disordered, it's not the Holy Spirit embarrassing you. It's the Holy Spirit saying, it's time to deal with this. It's time now for you to have an ordered heart. Do you know that the one who loves you, the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows you all the way to the bottom. He knows how devious your heart is. And yet he loves you all the way to the top and accepts you. And has given you the acceptance of the Father. His own acceptance by the Father is now your acceptance. 
So you don't need to be afraid to see what's in your heart, but you need to stop justifying and excusing what is manifesting so that you can come into this cultivation. Now, here's the essence of walking with Jesus. If we would walk with him, we must walk with him at that interior level. There are very few who really don't understand that they've got to walk in this heart way with him. Why is that? Because here's the salvation that Jesus brings in our life. He saves us by realistic restoration of our hearts to God and then by dwelling there with his father through the distinctively divine spirit. The heart thus renovated and inhabited is the only real hope of humanity on earth. Now, Think about this with me. I know that's a pretty thick, dense passage, but think about it with me, what it's saying. It's saying that you didn't do anything to make your heart righteous. But by recognizing that your heart was not righteous and that it needed a savior, that your heart needed to be restored to God, that by faith, in a realistic way, your heart of stone your heart of hardness, numbness, your fractured heart has now been replaced with a heart that beats after God. But that heart is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I love about theology of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit's there, the whole triune God is inhabiting your heart. Because wherever the Spirit is, the Father and the Son are. And, and listen to me, everything with God is relational because from eternity to eternity, there's been this wonderful love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What he has done by restoring your heart is he's taken you and put you in this inner circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're in the middle of the love they have for each other, and all that love is now being directed at you. And if you're still resisting and you're still saying, I don't know if I can trust you, I don't know if I can let go, if that's happening, then you are holding off what you were made for and what your heart most longs for. Now, the best way I can illustrate this, I'm a, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Every year I try, I watch them again. Sometimes I watch them a couple times a year. I've read the books over and over again. There's this one heroic moment. There's this one incredible moment in the first book. See, there are, there are two humans along with all these other creatures that are, that are part of a company in the first book. There are only two, two humans. One is the king-to-be, and one is the son of the steward of the city of men. And the one who is the steward of the city of men is a man by the name of Boromir. And you see Boromir the whole time, he's suspicious of this king. You've not been here when we needed you. He's resistant to the king. Who are you to tell me what to do? All through it, he's competing with him. And you can see this devious uh, kind of um, you know, advantage that he's trying to take. You're never going to be the king of me. Now, he thinks he's defending his city. He thinks he's defending his family. 
But at the end, when he loses his life fighting for what is right, at the end, when he becomes truly a noble man, he looks at the king-to-be. His name is Aragorn. He looks at him as he's dying. With his dying breath, he looks at him and says, my captain, my brother, my king. Do you understand? That's a picture. That's a picture of what the heart does when it gets ordered. That's what the heart does. It says, Jesus, I'm, I've been defending the wrong city. or I've been defending, defending the city in the wrong way. I now realize that I have to die to myself. And I have to acknowledge and receive that you're my captain. You're my brother. Jesus, you're my king. You see, I don't read my Bible to get points with God. I read my Bible because the captain of my faith leads me through his word. And he is my captain. He's the captain of my heart. I, I don't pray, friends, so that, so that I can negotiate and have a business compromise with God. I go to prayer because there I meet, uh, I meet one who's closer than a brother. I meet one who's in the fire with me. I meet one who will never leave me and never forsake me. I don't pray because I have to. I pray because I meet my brother there. But I tell you this, I'm not obedient because I, I want to escape the punishment. I'm not obedient because I'm afraid of the penalties of disobedience. I'm obedient because I've, I've beheld the king. And he has captured my heart. See, the problem, the problem, in a sense, with religion is you can do it without heart. You can give a tithe. You can pray. You can read your Bible. You can go to church services. You can do all of those things and never have a captured heart. But what God is saying to us, to you specifically, is am I your captain? Am I your brother? Am I your king? And then see, if that's true, if that's ordered in your heart, then his word becomes leadership. Prayer becomes fellowship. And obedience becomes worship. Are you hearing me? Everything that's going on in your life is spiritual formation. But the problem is that it has to be demolition before it can be renovation. My wife has ruined my life with HGTV. But I, I actually love those, those shows because they never renovate without demolition. Old walls have to come down. Old, un, you know, ineffective things have to be taken away. Sometimes it has to be stripped all the way to the two-by-fours. It's not, it's not easy. Sometimes it's painful. Can I, I want to close with this, this thought. See, if it's an issue of the heart, which I'm, I'm saying the Bible says it is, out of your heart comes your life. Isn't this in a way 
a beautiful thing to realize that it has nothing to do with culture, ethnicity, geography, that it's the heart he's after. That it cannot be as you look around and you look at people that you only see color of skin or you only see status symbols or you only see this. It has to be that if you have a carefully cultivated heart, you're looking for how you can build up the heart of any other person. And the other thing is this. Everybody, every human heart is then part of your mission to bring them to the one who can heal their heart. It isn't just an idea of turn or burn. It's the idea of demolition and renovation coming into the very heart of Christ. So here's how we want to close this service. Are you tracking with me, son, this morning? If we are to have renovated hearts, then we can't just believe about the cross. We can't just say, isn't that a wonderful concept? We have to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. We have to say, friends, if I want a renovated heart, then I have to die to self and I have to live to Christ. For many years, even though I, I had studied theology, I had studied the cross, for many years, I would still ask God, but do you really love me? And what, what would happen is that circumstances would come in my life and they weren't the circumstances I wanted in my life and I had no control over them. And I'd say, this seems to point that you don't love me. And I can remember in one service, back in my 20s, I can remember in one service and the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to settle this today. And there was the table of the Lord. There was communion on the table. And the Lord said to me, and, and I know this, I was a Presbyterian, I didn't think he was supposed to talk to me. Uh, but I was hearing his voice. And, and he was saying, look at that table. That's my answer. And so what I've been able to do over the years is whenever I'm struggling to embrace the cross, I look at the table. And so today we wanted to end our service with communion. And Ashley's going to come and lead us in this. You can clap. That's, I like it. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me as we take communion together? I love that this is a picture of kind of the first step in this renovation process. That because of the cross, we have access to the Father and He is asking us today if we would let Him take down some of our walls. And so we're gonna take this together as the family of God. We're gonna start with the cracker and it is gluten-free for those of you who are concerned about that. It's also dry, that's your warning. Um, but let's do this together and let's remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf and let's hear his voice as he is asking us, will you let me take down these walls? Will you give me access to these places? So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his friends and they had a meal and he broke bread with them. And he said, this bread represents my body, my body broken for you. When you eat this, 
When you taste it, do it and remember me. So church, let's eat this together. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, blood that is poured out and shed for you. When you drink this, when you taste it, do it in remembrance of me. So church, let's drink together. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for the table. Church, would you just thank him in your own words this morning? Thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Father, we listen for your voice. We listen as you call us deeper, as you do this renovating work and we give you access and we give you permission. Father, do whatever it is you want to do in us so that you can do whatever it is that you want to do through us. We give you all the glory and we give you all the honor and it's in your son's name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, before you go this morning, we do have some prayer uh, ministers that will be at the front here if you, if you need some prayer this morning. Also, you can sign up for a group at The Hub, which is right out there in the lobby. We hope that you have a fantastic week, and we'll see you soon.